you want to be free, the first thing you have to think about is what kind of education should we possess? Two words, death. Two words, death, death. Education. Two words, death. Two words, death, death. Education. Death, death, education. Education system presumes you to fail the next place in the corner, then after that, jail. Good afternoon. This is Andre Mountain with the Death Education Podcast, and we have a special guest for you today. Our guest is someone who has worked in the schools in the CSRA and someone who also works with adults now and is an author. I'd like for you to help me welcome Ivy K. Ingram. How you doing, Ivy? I'm well. I'm well. How are you? Great, great. I'm so glad that you would join us here on Deaf Education. You know, we're just starting out as a podcast and we really want people to be informed. We want to help people to make better decisions and we want them to navigate the workplace. And the work that you're doing really speaks to that. And so tell us, who is Ivy K. Ingram? <laughs> oh, let me see. The best way I, I could describe myself, in short, I guess, um, I am neo soul, I am trap music, and I am hip hop. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yeah. So I'm a nice little combination of vibes and energy, right? Um, but, you know, in essence, I, I am true to education. I'm an educator. Um, yeah, I'm a coach. I'm an author. I'm a mother. Um, I'm a giver. And I'm most certainly, in all things, I'm an advocate. That's who I am. So in 2019, you released a book called Bullying Built Me. Tell us about that. Yeah. So Bullying Built Me, and I, I, I wrote it as a guide, as a survival guide for women in the workplace. And I tailored it to women while there have been men audiences as well, but I tailored it to women because I'm a woman and I felt like, you know, sometimes our experiences in the workplace tends to be a little different than our male counterparts. And so, you know, the, the book for me was really an outlet as I found myself being bullied in the workplace uh, quite often. And it started um, as a child in school, you know, and it just kind of poured over into my adult life, um, again, in the workplace. And I had really tried to advocate for myself and found myself really hit, hitting a wall. There really weren't any policies in place or procedures um, to really address uh, these kinds of reportings. And so for me, the book truly was not only an outlet for me to speak out about it, but it also was a way for me to uh, support other women who I know had endured and to give them a voice. I wanted to give us a voice because it's one of those things where it's associated with children. And so adults don't speak up about it because it's like, I think they're embarrassed um, to be bullied uh, on, a, on a regular basis. And so I really wanted to uh, speak out about the subject matter and, and really make it my platform as this is something that is very, very um, uh, near and dear to me. But in all, bullying built me though, right? So we take our disadvantages and we, we make advantages out of those opportunities. And so it, I, I would like to say that the title ultimately is about how those experiences made me who I am today. So it was, it was definitely a, a journey. It was hard to write sometimes as it was very emotional for me. Um, but I pushed through because I realized that 
ultimately the test that I had endured would be a testimony. And the pain that I had experienced would most certainly be an opportunity for me to um, stand up in power and in pride as a woman. Um, and so, I, I, again, it was, a, it was a neat project for me and I enjoyed it. I really did. How's the book been received? It's been received very well. You know, and it's interesting that you asked that because it's one of those sensitive subjects that um, that many don't want to talk about. Right. And so it has truly been received very. And it's a situation where it's it's very much on an individual level right now. But I want it to be more or less on on a group level. Right. I want it to be a situation where um, you have leaders in the workplace that are having their um, their team to read and study my book and really get an understanding of what it is in efforts to also um, establish you know, policies and, you know, whether it's office wide rules or whatever the case may be. Um, and hopefully I'll get it on that platform. But right now, yeah, it's being received very well. It's like, wow, like that was bold. You wrote about this, you know, so it, it, and it sparks a lot of conversation. So, yeah, I, I would say it's definitely received well. Yeah, I, I've been I've been very surprised about it. Well, I can definitely see a space for a book like that because so many of us have, I know personally, I've also had a challenging boss and someone who I felt like was not trying to help me win or get to the next level. And then I've also had those bosses who were very supportive and right. very honest and candid with me and gave me critical feedback that helped me grow. So, you know, I've been there where I felt like someone was always trying to catch me making a mistake. Right. It's yeah. not a good feeling. It's not. It's that get you gotcha is what I call. Yeah. Yeah. It's not a good feeling at all. So how can we as educators help young people early on to have more empathy? Because I think the whole bullying thing starts in middle school, elementary school, high school. Absolutely. And I, and I talk about that. In my book, in one of the chapters, I, I, I share with the readers how ultimately if you're being bullied, a lot of times it's really not about you. It's really a, a personal uh, situation um, where the bully themselves have been bullied and how hurt people hurt people. And so, you know, kind of getting them to look at it from a different perspective as we we most certainly internalize that experience and we begin to question ourselves like what's wrong with me when actually it's it's the bully who really needs that attention because nine times out of ten they have been bullied as children um, to include by their own parents and so I think it's important that um, you know I'm a mother myself and I and I try to teach my son how to be um, empathetic to others how to how to share how to give you know, um, we donate, things like that. So I think just planting those seeds early on, having them to do community service. And again, just showing uh, and demonstrating um, ways to be empathetic to others, to be compassionate, to be an advocate. I even say to my son, if you see someone in your class being picked on, what do you do? And I and I teach him those strategies and I, I, I bring it to his attention and create awareness. And I think as parents, that's our job. That's our job, knowing that they're going to be adults one day, you know. And so I think that as educators and as parents, I think that just starting young with exposing them to those things. There are books out there 
on bullying um, that are tailored towards children. A lot of authors um, out there have actually wrote books um, demonstrating bullying and how to handle it. And so just uh, exposing uh, children to those types of, of literacy is important and open up the conversation start the conversation early it doesn't have to be a sensitive hush hush conversation it needs to be talked about and i think the sooner we do that all the better we will be as we find ourselves in the workplace working among other adults so let's go a little deeper because i want to bring you into my world as a school principal and i know that many principals listen to this podcast as well as educators and one of the things that I want to ask you about is this victim mentality mm. that some some employees have. For instance, um, employee comes into work late, multiple days, mm-hmm. and when you call them on it and you address it and you document it, oh, I'm being harassed. I'm being <laughs> this is retaliation. You know. <laughs> where does that come from, and how do you address that when that's such a prevalent thing in the workplace today? Um, I, I think it comes from well, one when they when they when they go into a victim space, right? That 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 coping mechanism, um, you know, it's a defense. It's a defense mechanism. I think that a lot of adults uh, will do. A lot of staff, a lot of employees, ultimately to you know kind of get the heat off of them, right? And and I think that essentially it's one of those things. To be quite frank with you, a hit dog a holler. Right. And so they know that essentially that they're wrong, um, but they're going to do their best to uh, deflect and make you wrong. Right. And so I think that's where it comes from to answer part one of that conversation. And uh, part two of that is, you know, how do you address it? I think one, as a leader, you need to make sure that you're documenting. Documenting is key. Right. Stick number two, sticking to the, the policies. The policies and procedures, making sure that you're following those, making sure that the things that you are addressing are actually rules. I've ran into that before, too. And where an employee is saying you're picking on me and you don't do this to, you know, uh, you don't do this to Sally. Why are you doing this to me when, you know, at the end of the day, sure enough, the employee had a leg to stand on because there was not a rule established. Um, you know, in terms of why they were being addressed, you know, the offense, if you will. And so just again, making sure that there are rules, policies and procedures in place. Um, and, and then thirdly, I think all it really matters about the leadership approach, how you approach the situation. Right. I mean, one, you if you are addressing them in front of other people, right, then nine times out of 10, they're going to be embarrassed. So, you know, they're more inclined to uh, go into that victim space. And so I think, again, just your approach is very important as well. Um, And then I'll say lastly, also, how are you trying to um, redirect? It's, It's one thing to call out the behavior, but it's another, as a leader, we have a responsibility to redirect the behavior, to foster and demonstrate the positive behavior that we want. Because in many cases, uh, <laughs> I hate to be this frank, but as, as you find yourself in a supervisor management position, um, sometimes adults are very much like children. And so they need, um, not only do they need structure, but again, they need that positive reinforcement as well. And so sometimes it's not always the call out um, or being direct in the sense of you've been late several times as much as it is doing more of a positive reinforcement and finding other ways 
to address these behaviors. And so those would just be my suggestions. It's tough being a leader. It's tough because here's the thing. Being a leader comes with so many other hats. Um, you know, being a leader is more like a, you know, a mentor, a guide, a coach, if you will. But what happens is we end up being a manager and a supervisor. And so we're trying to lead and guide and be visionary. But at the same time, we have to ultimately manage and, and supervise employees. And it can it can be a tough space to be in. Um, so I, I just think, again, we do have to be careful and tread lightly, but documentation is the key and just trying different approaches uh, is necessary. Absolutely. Very good points there. So you also work as a life coach and career coach. How did you get into that arena? Well, um, as a certified school counselor, it's, it's really not that far removed. I just moved into more of a coaching space to be more specific and um, as a school counselor, I found that I really was not doing a whole lot of counseling or coaching, if you will. Um, it was a lot more of the um, academic piece, making sure documentation, making sure that students were on track to graduate, which was important. But it just um, after a while, it was like, wow, there's just so much more that I need to be doing. And so I still work with high schoolers now. Um, I have um, parents who come to me and hire me as their career coach for their, you know, junior or senior in high school. And so it's just now I get to focus on the coaching, right? I don't have to um, be distracted by the other things, the administrative pieces of being a school counselor. And I love it. And, you know, and once I got out of school counseling specifically, I was like, man, um, what I want to do because I went into higher education after I came out of uh, the high school and um, I just wasn't really truly being fulfilled and I said what is it that you love what's what's the heart matter for you and so that's how I got into coaching and so um, I did life coaching at first and then I, I found my niche in life coaching so as I was coaching individuals as far as the the personal I found my niche as far as focusing on specifically career matters. And so that's kind of how I stumbled into it. It really just fell on me, right? I was like, you know, this is cool. I love it. I found myself um, advising people all the time and, you know, coaching them through the experience, coaching my family members. I coach my son through different things. And so I was like, that's just who I am. I'm Coach Ivy. And I and that's how I'm known. Most people know me as as their coach. So... Well, I have a, seven, a seventh grader <laughs> and I would love for someone to talk with her about the, the short amount of time that she yes. has before she has to start making college decisions because I don't think she understands how those years are going to breeze by. Absolutely. And that's the thing, you know, as parents bring me on as as a career coach uh, or as an advisor, if you will, I'm an, I'm an addition, right? I, I'm a part of their village at that point. And here's the thing. The same thing I'm saying, you've probably already said as a parent, but now all of a sudden it's like the light bulb goes off. It makes sense. But that's the way children are. That's why we we were like that. So, you know, at the yeah. same time, it really makes sense to bring someone on just to reiterate what you're already trying to tell them. I mean, and I think we just have to be open to um, bringing in some additional help, you know. So, again, just creating that village. And like I tell, you know, some of the high school clients that I have. You know, it's like a team. You have to have a team. Every successful person does, you know. And so, um, yeah, it's something that I, I 
will be interested in. Uh, you know, I haven't gone as low as seventh grade, but I think we do need to start there. I've had some people come to me and say, hey, you need to start working with middle schoolers. Like, we got to have these conversations sooner. So, <laughs> so yeah, that would be good. I'm, I'm, I'm definitely um, open to that. And, you know, I tell you, I say that because in the metro Atlanta area, and I'm not sure if it's the same in the CSRA, but in the metro Atlanta area, it's a very competitive process to get into certain high schools. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so, you know, those kids who are now in many of the charter schools, there are other high schools that are very competitive. You have to have a certain grade point average. You have to have had certain activities to even get selected to attend those mm-hmm. schools. And, and then thinking about college what do i need to do academically to be competitive to get into college it's never too early to start having those discussions absolutely you know? and here's the thing you know i think for a lot of people they start preparing um some maybe 10th grade some maybe even 11th grade and then it amazes me how many people start having the conversation as uh their children are seniors in high school and the colleges are looking at information that starts in ninth grade. And while that may seem like, you know, kind of um, simple or obvious information, a lot of people don't realize that. And the students themselves don't realize that. I know I didn't. When I was applying for college in the 12th grade, you've got to submit your transcript. And it does. you're in your first semester or the first quarter of your senior year. So your transcript only reflects 9th, 10th, and 11th grade. So you definitely have to start having those conversations before ninth grade so that they understand the severity of their academic performance. And, um, and I'll even take it a step further to say that, you know, everything they do starting in middle school matters as far as sports, extracurricular, right? Being in clubs, um, actually working. All of these things matter because I get all of my um, high school students to actually create a resume. And they're like, but I've never worked. You know, no, go ahead and put on there everything that you're going to need to submit um, when you're applying for these colleges. Because I know that's what got me in college. It, it was not my SAT scores or my ACT scores. It was that, I, you know, I had a high GPA and I was well-rounded, right? I was student body president. I ran track. You know, I did all these different things. And I think that at the end of the day, those things superseded. And I was still able to demonstrate that I was an ideal student. So all of these things matter. Community service, which they can be doing now in sixth, seventh, and eighth grade. So you're right. We've got to have these conversations much sooner because here's the thing. For some students, it doesn't sink in until after hearing it for 30 times. So you got to start the conversations early. You cannot wait until they're in high school. And I think we need to come together and, and do a better job at that, at, at preparing um uh, our students for for not only for college, but that career exploration is important too. And I know we didn't really hit on that, but I want to bring that in as well because we have a lot of students who don't know what to major in um, once they uh, you know go to college or they change their major two three times and end up spending an extra year or so. And so I think that career exploration is important conversation as well. Career exploration is so important. Career day at the elementary school is a big thing mm-hmm. for me, but, and I've tried to expand it throughout the year. We have guest speakers coming throughout the year now and not just on career day because I think the critical piece for our young people is exposure. Mm-hmm. They're not exposed to as much as we need to have mm-hmm. them see. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. I agree. I agree. Yeah. And so 
the next question I have for you is how can you help someone determine if what they're doing is their calling or their passion? Because many of us work jobs, but how do you make sure that what you're doing is what you're calling? <laughs> so you, you're going to tap into one of my secrets as a coach, right? So <laughs> one of the things that makes me phenomenal at what I do is my ability to separate it, right? So we talk about skills, talents, passion, and purpose and calling, right? And we have, it takes time. Like I usually I'll set my clients up for anywhere for three to six different sessions. And sometimes it, it takes up to those six sessions to really delve deep and discover ultimately what their true calling is. But we have to go through a series of probing and a series of exercises to ultimately define who they are. A lot of my clients have been on the same job you know, 15, 20 years doing the same thing and they've lost themselves. A lot of my clients have lost themselves into being a mother, being a, a father, um, you know, being a caretaker for, for their elderly parents. So they have no sense of self. So we have to first dive into who they are, get back to um, essentially who they are. And that's, that's why I start with getting them to redefine and rediscover ultimately you know, um, who they are as a person. And then I always ask the ultimate question. And here's my secret. I asked them who they wanted to be when they were in second grade. Right. And for some of my clients, they'll say third grade or fourth grade or whatever the case may be. But the concept is, is the same, right? Just who did you want to be? Like when you were asked, what do you want to be when you grow up? What was your answer? And I have not met a client yet where the answer did not ultimately define their true calling. The second thing I asked them is what do people come to you for? Your family, your friends, if you have children, ultimately you are the go-to for what, right? So um, sometimes we'll have clients that'll say, they come to me when it's time to plan trips or you know, people come to me for advice all the time. And so that's how we really drill down ultimately what their calling is. And the last question I ask ultimately is, it, it seems like the most cliche question, but I stump them every time. And I say, ultimately, if you could do anything every single day without a paycheck, which we know most of us are money driven. Why? Because we got to pay bills. But if I say, take away the check, if you could ultimately do anything for free, what would it be every day? And so those are the three questions that I ask and we ultimately end up, you know, with ultimately what the calling is. But yeah, it's, it's very interesting how we have to chisel out what you're passionate about and what you're good at. And I say, I didn't ask you what you were good at, right? <laughs> because you can be good at a lot of things. <laughs> and so, um, so yeah, so that's kind of how I get down to it is ultimately, you know, um, when dare to dream when you are a child, you know, when you're a child, um, you know, your imagination. And it's, it's, it's amazing to me how as adults, we lose our sense or our ability to be imaginative, right? We, we lose the ability to dream. And so I take them back to that space and ultimately that's how we discover it. So it's, it's, a, it's a beautiful process. So everyone wants to go into leadership, mm -hmm. you know, school leadership or some type of leadership. What advice do you have for aspiring leaders so that they don't fall into that trap of becoming that bully that's in the workplace? Wow, um, that's good. That's a good one. Um, you know, my advice would 
be always start with as simple as this is it keeps me grounded I always keep in mind how I want to be treated I always keep that in mind and I couple it with the idea that you're dealing with professionals right I mean at the end of the day you know it's our job to to foster them you know to mentor them and to coach them and I think ultimately we we find ourselves in situations where we could be, potentially be bullying or targeting if you will and creating very toxic intense working environments because of the pressure that we're under as a leaders especially in the schools if you're at especially if you're at the building level because then you have the district you have the board you have all of these um outside entities you have the stakeholders there's so much pressure on a leader in education and so you can easily find yourself in a situation where you're putting that same pressure and you're really walking a thin line with those that you are leading those that you are supervising and so i think it's important that you you just stay grounded whatever it is that keeps you grounded and humble make sure you tap into that regularly so for me it's going back home where i grew up i have to unplug and go back home because I got to get back to ultimately Ivy. I have to I have to strip myself of that title and go back to who I was and it keeps you grounded. And so you're able to return to the situation with a fresh mind and do what it is that you you're supposed to be doing as a leader. And I just really want to stress to those that are aspiring to be leaders in education to remember that ultimately you're not there to truly manage right you're not there to ultimately supervise necessarily right you're there to be a true guide to teachers to students right and mind you i the day to day yes it is very practical you get into putting out fires um addressing issues with staff um you know talking parents down off the ledge when they come in irate you do get into those management pieces but i think it's important that you maintain your high road right that you maintain that that seat as a leader and you're always demonstrating what it is that you expect so you can't go low <laughs> there may be times where you want to go low and sometimes when people might take you low like you know I ain't too far removed right but I think you know you have those moments let's be real right I mean we're still people but I think you just you just have to maintain that standard you have to maintain that standard and again just keeping in mind that you know you weren't always a leader in education you started somewhere as well you started as an assistant you started in the front office whatever and so just keeping in mind that you weren't always where you are you know and everybody has to crawl before they walk and to always just again just be a role model and example to us there um their team to read and study my book and really get an understanding of what it is in efforts to also um establish you know policies and you know whether it's office wide rules or whatever the case may be um and hopefully I'll get it on that platform but right now yeah it's being received very well it's like wow like that was bold you wrote about this you know so it, it and it sparks a lot of conversation so yeah i i would say it's definitely received well yeah i i've been i've been very surprised about it
well, I can definitely see a space for a book like that because so many of us have, I know personally, I've also had a challenging boss and someone who I felt like was not trying to help me win or get to the next level. And then I've also had those bosses who were very supportive and right. were very honest and candid with me and gave me critical feedback that helped me grow. So, you know, I've been there where I felt like someone was always trying to catch me making a mistake. Right. It's yeah. not a good feeling. It's not. It's that get you gotcha is what I call it. Yeah. Yeah. It's not a good feeling at all. So how can we as educators help young people early on to have more empathy? Because I think the whole bullying thing starts in middle school, elementary school, high school. Absolutely. And I, and I talk about that in my book in one of the chapters. I, I, I share with the readers how ultimately if you're being bullied, a lot of times it's really not about you. It's really a, a personal uh, situation um, where the bully themselves have been bullied and how hurt people hurt people. And so, you know, kind of getting them to look at it from a different perspective as we, we most certainly internalize that experience and we begin to question ourselves, like what's wrong with me when actually it's, it's the bully who really needs that attention because nine times out of 10, they have been bullied as children um, to include by their own parents. And so I think it's important that um, you know, I'm a mother myself and I, and I try to teach my son how to be um, empathetic to others, how to, how to share, how to give, you know, um, we donate, things like that. So I think just planting those seeds early on, having them to do community service and again, just showing uh, and demonstrating um, ways to be empathetic to others, to be compassionate, to be an advocate. I even say to my son, if you see someone in your class being picked on, what do you do? And I and I teach him those strategies and I, I, I bring it to his attention and create awareness. And I think as parents, that's our job. That's our job, knowing that they're going to be adults one day, you know. And so I think that as educators and as parents, I think that just starting young with exposing them to those things. There are books out there on bullying um, that are tailored towards children. A lot of authors um, out there have actually wrote books um, demonstrating bullying and how to handle it. And so just uh, exposing uh children to those types of of literacy is important and open up the conversation start the conversation early it doesn't have to be a sensitive hush hush conversation it needs to be talked about and i think the sooner we do that all the better we will be as we find ourselves in the workplace working among other adults so let's go a little deeper because i want to bring you into my world as a school principal and i know that many principals listen to this podcast as well as educators and one of the things that i want to ask you about is this victim mentality mm. that some some employees have for instance um employee comes into work late multiple days mm -hmm. and when you call them on it and you address it and you document it oh i'm being harassed i'm being <laughs> this is retaliation and, you know, <laughs> Where, where does that come from and how do you address that when that's such a prevalent thing in the workplace today? Um, I, I think it comes from, well, one, when they, when they, when they go into a victim space, right, that, that, that coping mechanism, um, you know, it's a defense. It's a defense mechanism. I think that a lot of adults uh, will do, a lot of staff, a lot of employees 
ultimately to, you know, kind of get the heat off of them. Right. And and I think that essentially it's one of those things, to be quite frank with you, a hit dog, a holler. Right. And so they know that essentially that they're wrong, um, but they're going to do their best to uh, deflect and make you wrong. Right. And so I think that's where it comes from to answer part one of that conversation. And uh, part two of that is, you know, how do you address it? I think one, as a leader, you need to make sure that you're documenting. Documenting is key. Right. Stick number two, sticking to the, the policies, the policies and procedures, making sure that you're following those, making sure that the things that you are addressing are actually rules. I've ran into that before, too. And where an employee is saying you're picking on me and you don't do this to, you know, uh, you don't do this to Sally. Why are you doing this to me when, you know, at the end of the day, sure enough, the employee had a leg to stand on because there was not a rule established. Um, you know, in terms of why they were being addressed, you know, the offense, if you will. And so just again, making sure that there are rules, policies and procedures in place. Um, and, and then thirdly, I think all it really matters about the leadership approach, how you approach the situation. Right. I mean, one, you, if you are addressing them in front of other people, right, then nine times out of 10, they're going to be embarrassed. So, you know, they're more inclined to uh, go into that victim space. And so I think, again, just your approach is very important as well. Um, and then I'll say lastly, also, how are you trying to um, redirect? It's, it's one thing to call out the behavior, but it's another as a leader, we have a responsibility to redirect the behavior, to foster and demonstrate the positive behavior that we want. Because in many cases, uh, <laughs> I hate to be this frank, but as, as you find yourself in a supervisor management position, um, sometimes adults are very much like children. And so they need um, not only do they need structure, but again, they need that positive reinforcement as well. And so sometimes it's not always the call out um, or being direct in the sense of you've been late several times as much as it is doing more of a positive reinforcement and finding other ways to address these behaviors. And so. Those would just be my suggestions. It's tough being a leader. It's tough because here's the thing. Being a leader comes with so many other hats. Um, you know, being a leader is more like a, you know, a mentor, a guide, a coach, if you will. But what happens is we end up being a manager and a supervisor. And so we're trying to lead and guide and be visionary. But at the same time, we have to ultimately manage and, and supervise employees. And it can it can be a tough space to be in. Um, so I, I just think, again, you, we do have to be careful and tread lightly, but documentation is the key and just trying different approaches uh, is necessary. Absolutely. Very good points there. So you also work as a life coach and career coach. How did you get into that arena? Well, um, as a certified school counselor, it's, it's really not that far removed. I just moved into more of a coaching space to be more specific. And um, as a school counselor, I found that I really was not doing a whole lot of counseling or coaching, if you will. Um, it was a lot more of the um, academic piece, making sure documentation, making sure that students were on track to graduate, which was important. But it just um, after a while, it was like, wow, there's just so much more 
that I need to be doing. And so I still work with high schoolers now. Um, I have um, parents who come to me and hire me as their career coach for their, you know, junior or senior in high school. And so it's just now I get to focus on the coaching. Right. I don't have to um, be distracted by the other things, the administrative pieces of being a school counselor. And I love it. And, you know, and once I got out of school counseling specifically, I was like, man, um, what I want to do, because I went into higher education after I came out of uh, the high school and um, I just wasn't really, truly being fulfilled. And I said, what is it that you love? What's what's the heart matter for you? And so that's how I got into coaching. And so um, I did life coaching at first and then I, I found my niche in life coaching. So as I was coaching individuals, as far as the, the personal, I found my niche as far as focusing on specifically career matters. And so that's kind of how I stumbled into it. It really just fell on me. Right. I was like, you know, this is cool. I love it. I found myself. Um, advising people all the time and, you know, coaching them through the experience, coaching my family members. I coach my son through different things. And so it's like, that's just who I am. I'm Coach Ivy. And I and that's how I'm known. Most people know me as as their coach. So. Well, I have a, seven, a seventh grader <laughs> and I would love for someone to talk with her about the, the short amount of time that she yes. has before she has to start making college decisions because I don't think she understands how those years are going to breeze Absolutely. by. Absolutely. And that's the thing, you know, as parents bring me on as as a career coach uh, or as an advisor, if you will, I'm an, I'm an addition, right? I, I'm a part of their village at that point. And here's the thing, the same thing I'm saying, you've probably already said as a parent, but now all of a sudden it's like the light bulb goes off. It makes sense. But that's the way children are. That's why we we were like that. So, you know, at the yeah. same time, it really makes sense to bring someone on just to reiterate what you're already trying to tell them. I mean, and I think we just have to be open to um, bringing in some additional help, you know. So, again, just creating that village. And like I tell, you know, some of the high school clients that I have, you know, it's like a team. You have to have a team. Every successful person does. You know, and so, um, yeah, it's something that I, I would be interested in. Uh, you know, I haven't gone as low as seventh grade, but I think we do need to start there. I've had some people come to me and say, hey, you need to start working with middle schoolers. Like, we got to have these conversations sooner. So, <laughs> so yeah, that would be good. I'm, I'm, I'm definitely um, open to that. And, you know, I tell you, I say that because in the metro Atlanta area, and I'm not sure if it's the same in the CSRA, but in the metro Atlanta area, it's a very competitive process to get into certain high schools. It's mm -hmm. and, and, and so you know those kids who are now in many of the charter schools, there are other high schools that are very competitive. You have to have a certain grade point average. You have to have had certain activities to even get selected to attend those mm -hmm. schools. And, and then thinking about college, what do I need to do academically to be competitive to get into college? It's never too early to start having those discussions. Absolutely. You know? And here's the thing, you know, I think for a lot of people, they start preparing um, some maybe 10th grade, some maybe even 11th grade. And then it amazes me how many people start having the conversation as uh, their children are seniors in high school. And the colleges are looking at information that starts in ninth grade. And while that may seem like, you know, kind of um simple or obvious information and a lot of people don't realize that and the students themselves don't realize that i know i didn't 
when I was applying for college in the 12th grade, you've got to submit your transcript and it does, you're in your first semester or the first quarter of your senior year. So your transcript only reflects 9th, 10th and 11th grade. So you definitely have to start having those conversations before ninth grade so that they understand the severity of their academic performance. And, um, and I'll even take it a step further to say that, you know, everything they do starting in middle school matters as far as sports, extracurricular, right? Being in clubs, um, actually working. All of these things matter because I get all of my um, high school students to actually create a resume. And they're like, but I've never worked, you know, no, go ahead and put on there everything that you're going to need to submit um, when you're applying for these colleges, because I know that's what got me in college. It, it was not my SAT scores or my ACT scores. It was that I, you know, I had a high GPA and I was well-rounded, right? I was student body president. I ran track, you know, I did all these different things. And I think that at the end of the day, those things superseded and I was still able to demonstrate that I was an ideal student. So all of these things matter. Community service, which they can be doing now in sixth, seventh and eighth grade. So you're right. We've got to have these conversations much sooner because here's the thing. For some students, it doesn't sink in until after hearing it for 30 times. So you got to start the conversations early. You cannot wait until they're in high school. And I think we need to come together and, and do a better job at that, at, at preparing um uh, our students for for not only for college, but that career exploration is important too. And I know we didn't really hit on that, but I want to bring that in as well because we have a lot of students who don't know what to major in um, once they uh, you know go to college or they change their major two three times and end up spending an extra year or so. And so I think that career exploration is important conversation as well. Career exploration is so important. Career day at the elementary school is a big thing mm -hmm. for me, and I've tried to expand it throughout the year. We have guest speakers coming throughout the year now, and not just on career day, because I think the critical piece for our young people is exposure. Mm -hmm. They're not exposed to as much as we need to have mm -hmm. them see. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. I agree. I agree. Yeah. And so the next question I have for you is, how can you help someone determine if what they're doing is their calling or their passion? Because many of us work jobs, but how do you make sure that what you're doing is what you're <laughs> So you, you're going to tap into one of my secrets as a coach, right? So <laughs> one of the things that makes me phenomenal at what I do is my ability to separate it, right? So we talk about skills, talents, passion, and purpose and calling right and we have it takes time like i usually i'll set my clients up for anywhere for three to six different sessions and sometimes it, it takes up to those six sessions to really delve deep and discover ultimately what their true calling is but we have to go through a series of probing and a series of exercises to ultimately define who they are a lot of my clients have been on the same job you know, 15, 20 years doing the same thing and they've lost themselves. A lot of my clients have lost themselves into being a mother, being a, a father, um, you know, being a caretaker for, for their elderly parents. So they have no sense of self. So we have to first dive into who they are, get back to um, essentially who they are. And that's, that's where I start with getting them to redefine and rediscover ultimately you know, um, 
who they are as a person. And then I always ask the ultimate question. And here's my secret. I asked them who they wanted to be when they were in second grade. Right. And for some of my clients, they'll say third grade or fourth grade or whatever the case may be. But the concept is, is the same. Right. Just who did you want to be like when you were asked, what do you want to be when you grow up? What was your answer? And I have not met a client yet where the answer did not ultimately define their true calling. The second thing I ask them is what do people come to you for? Your family, your friends, if you have children, ultimately you are the go-to for what, right? So um, sometimes we'll have clients that'll say they come to me when it's time to plan trips or, you know, people come to me for advice all the time. And so that's how we really drill down ultimately what their calling is. And the last question I ask ultimately is, it, it seems like the most cliche question, but I stump them every time and I say, ultimately, if you could do anything every single day without a paycheck, which we know most of us are money driven. Why? Because we got to pay bills. But if I say, take away the check, if you could ultimately do anything for free, what would it be every day? And so those are the three questions that I ask. And we ultimately end up, you know, with ultimately what the calling is. But yeah, it's, it's very interesting how we have to chisel out what you're passionate about and what you're good at. And I say, I didn't ask you what you were good at, right? <laughs> because you can be good at a lot of things. <laughs> and so, um, so yeah, so that's kind of how I get down to it is ultimately, you know, um, when dare to dream when you are a child, you know, when you're a child, um, you know, your imagination. And it, it's, it's, it's amazing to me how as adults, we lose our sense or our ability to be imaginative, right? We, we lose the ability to dream. And so I take them back to that space and ultimately that's how we discover it. So it's, it's, a, it's a beautiful process. So everyone wants to go into leadership, mm -hmm. you know, school leadership or some type of leadership. What advice do you have for aspiring leaders so that they don't fall into that trap of becoming that bully that's in the work? Wow. Um, that's good. That's a good one. Um, you know, my advice would be always start with as simple as this is, it keeps me grounded. I always keep in mind how I want to be treated. I always keep that in mind and I couple it with the idea that you're dealing with professionals, right? I mean, at the end of the day, you know, it's our job to, to foster them, you know, to mentor them and to coach them. And I think ultimately we, we find ourselves in situations where we could potentially be bullying or targeting, if you will, and creating very toxic, intense, working environments because of the pressure that we're under as a leaders, especially in the schools, if you're at, especially if you're at the building level, because then you have the district, you have the board, you have all of these um, outside entities, you have the stakeholders. There's so much pressure on a leader in education. And so you can easily find yourself in a situation where you're putting that same pressure and you're really walking a thin line with those that you are leading, those that you are supervising. And so I think it's important that you, you just stay grounded. Whatever it is that keeps you grounded and humble, make sure you tap into that regularly. So for me, it's going back home where I grew up. 
I have to unplug and go back home because I got to get back to ultimately Ivy. I have to I have to strip myself of that title and go back to who I was and it keeps you grounded. And so you're able to return to the situation with a fresh mind and do what it is that you you're supposed to be doing as a leader. And I just really want to stress to those that are aspiring to be leaders in education to remember that ultimately you're not there to truly manage, right? You're not there to ultimately supervise necessarily, right? You're there to be a true guide to teachers, to students, right? And mind you, I, the day-to-day, -day, yes, it is very practical. You get into putting out fires, um, addressing issues with staff, um, you know, talking parents down off the ledge when they come in irate. You do get into those management pieces. But I think it's important that you maintain your high road, right? That you maintain that, that seat as a leader and you're always demonstrating what it is that you expect. So you can't go low. <laughs> there may be times where you want to go low and sometimes when people might take you low like you know i ain't too far removed right but i think you know you have those moments let's be real right i mean we're still people but i think you just you just have to maintain that standard you have to maintain that standard and again just keeping in mind that you know you weren't always a leader in education you started somewhere as well you started as an assistant you started in the front office whatever and so just keeping in mind that you weren't always where you are you know and everybody has to crawl before they walk and to always just again just be a role model and example to others um so i hope that answers your question but i can go on and on about leadership Hey, this segment of the podcast, we call okay. it It Was Written. And the purpose of that is we know that all of our leaders and educators and even our folks who are just enthusiastic about hip-hop culture in general, the culture and, and our profession is all built around constantly learning and growing. What are two books you would recommend? Okay, well, of course, my own book, right? <laughs> So, you know, bullying <laughs> built me, right? So, and, and I recommend it because it's informative, it's supportive, and it's inspiring, right? It's enlightening. And I think it really needs to be one of those situations where it sparks conversation. And especially as a leader in education, don't shy away from the subject. Talk about it and let your staff know how important it is to you and how ultimately it should not be tolerated and it will not be tolerated. So I think ultimately that book really just stimulates a conversation. I don't see a lot of books out there that talks about bullying in the workplace and it happens more often than we think. So that's my first suggestion. My second suggestion is Jump, right? J-U-M-P, Jump by Steve Harvey. It's a very inspiring book as well. And what I like that he does beautifully is while he's giving advice in terms of jumping, just jump, go for it. Right. 
he also intertwines some of his own personal experiences. Uh, he talks about how he worked for Ford or how he didn't finish college. He talks about some of those low points in his life, but ultimately those low points got him to where he is now. Um, he talks about how his failures were ultimately his success. And so I think um, that's just really a good read. It's a quick read, um, you know, and Steve Harvey's just, you know, he's just one of those guys where he just keeps it real, but he's very, very um, inspirational and motivating. Um, he, and he's always just giving, giving advice. And, you know, I, I, to me, I feel like he's a coach in his own right, um, as he's just a cheerleader. He just wants everybody to win. And so um, that's just really been a book for me that has been inspiring as I have jumped into entrepreneurship. And so I think that's uh, that would be my two suggestions. Absolutely. You cannot just exist in this life. You have got to try to live. See, God, when he created all of us, he gave every last one of us a gift at birth. Some folks have the mindset, and, and you're a perfect guest to speak to this. Some folks have the mindset that you have to choose one <laughs> job. I remember I had a, a principal in, in, in Washington State who said, listen, Andre, are you going to be a writer? Are you going to be a right. Which one are you going to do? I'm going to do, do both. I'm going to do both. <laughs> yeah, and I love more, it. You know? I love it. And you know, here's the thing. Believe it or not, I know this seems high, but the the average time that an adult changes careers is seven, seven times they will change careers in their adulthood. So um, the, the minimum that I've witnessed is three, but the average as far as national studies is seven. And, I, and, and that speaks to it beautifully because we're not just one thing, right? We're not just, uh, you're not just one layer. You know, uh, we have multiple layers. We have multiple talents. And so, yeah, you're right. We can do more than one thing. And I think it's important for us to inspire, um, you know, the youth as they're coming up to do the same, not to try to put them in a box. Absolutely. That's a good point. Well, as a principal, I see the need for a lot of mental health awareness in our community. We have parents who come up and who really don't, they're, they're dealing with their own pressures beyond the school and they end up cursing out the teacher and just really acting in a way that's inappropriate for a school setting. How can we make it more normalized for people to pursue mental health? I awareness? think one uh, is being transparent about, um, about our own weaknesses, right? I think, I think that the average person can speak to some level of mental health, even if it's depression, right? Even if it's, uh, you know, I was sad for five days, I was in the bed, right? I mean, you know, I think we all can kind of speak yeah. to some type of mental state that we've experienced. We all have experienced some types of thoughts of giving up, right? I mean, let's just be real. And so I think if we're just more transparent, um, about our own situations, it will allow others to feel more comfortable to talk about theirs. I think the other thing that's important for us to do is that there's a lot of counselors that are hidden in pockets, right? I think they that doing a lot more marketing and publicity and creating that awareness, you know, um, doing workshops, uh, going to speak, being a, a speaker at conferences, and just really being out there. Right. And really kind of promoting um, not only the profession, but 
promoting the services and letting people know that they're there and that they can help and and giving them ways to schedule appointments with them where you know they don't feel embarrassed or um and and not creating obstacles for them to provide you know to um provide services to them and so i think one again just being transparent and starting the conversation out loud right starting with our own families right and then two that those that are counselors in the in the profession um, of mental health of any capacity really need to advocate. You know, it's one of those things. It's like, where do I find a counselor? You know, it's like it's just kind of a hidden thing. And so I just again, just think they really need to be out there more and pushing the agenda. Who are some of your biggest influences? Oh, man. So. For me, it would have to be very personal to me. So um, it would be my my mother, of course. Um, my mom was just, she's been just a pivotal um, inspiration to me and very influential. And my, my grandmother as well um, has been a very influential in the sense of, you know, influencing my, my work ethics, um, you know, my strength, my independence, both women just exude, um, you know, great qualities that ultimately um, got me into uh, not only just a survival space, because I think for both of them, they just survived, but gleaming from, from both of their lives, I was able to go past and beyond surviving, but to enter in a space of thriving. And so I stand on their shoulders and I stand proud um, as they both have been very, very influential um, in my life, you know, I'm, I'm very much a, a trailblazer in my own right. I think I am. Right. So I don't tend to look that I don't tend to look to my left or my right. I just don't, you know, I'm just, you know, so I really just kind of glean from my roots. I honestly do. You know, there's some people out there like I like Michelle Obama, you know, for example, um, you know, but at the same time, you know, I get my strength and my, my ultimate influence from, from those that, um, that really gave me life. So those two women are, are very pivotal to me. If we if we were to close out the podcast mm -hmm. with a song. Oh man. Um okay, so my my favorite song would be that I feel like it that actually is saying something, right? It's got a good message behind it. Um would be um Umi says, right? By by Dell, aka uh, Dante Smith, aka uh, right, <laughs> you know, so it would definitely be you, me says, because I think we find ourselves kind of rocking to it, but if you kind of get into words, it's very powerful, right? Where you know, he talks about tomorrow may never come, right? Life is never promised to us, it's just not. And then he goes into saying how he's not a perfect man, but he's trying to do the best that he can right with what he has ultimately and then i like how he goes into yeah. the hook right you know my umi says shine your light on the world shine your light for the world to see that's empowering to me right shine your light right and <laughs> and it really speaks to me because as gifted as i am and i say that proudly now because i was so ashamed of how smart I was, how gifted I was, how talented I was as a child, that I would, you know, fall to the shadows. 
and because I went through bullying and bullying in the workplace, a lot of times I was bullied because they saw the light that I did not see, that I see now. Now I get it. And so that darkness was trying to suffocate it out, right? And so he talks about shine your light for the world to see. And so if I can just be inspirational and just in inspire someone who's listening, shine your light. We all have a gleam of light, but let it bust out and do what it is you're called to do because that's what your light is. That's what I think it is, ultimately. Your light is your call. It's your gift back into the universe. So allow it to shine, be free. And he talks about it, right? That's his last thing, that's his chant. I want black people to be free, to be free, to be free, right? So, you know, he wants us to be free and I agree. I want all people to be free, ultimately. I just want people to be free. And imagine if we can move freely and forward, right? And, and be free to be who we are. And that's even part of what writing my book was about, my ability, I was busting out. Right, like allowing myself to be the writer that I've always known I, I could be. Allowing myself to be vocal because I was silenced as a child, but I found my voice. So be free and let your light shine to the world because you owe it to yourself and you most certainly owe it to those who are counting on you. So let your light shine. I am on uh, Facebook at nine, the number nine, Al as in O-W-L Solutions. I'm also on Instagram, 9-O-W-L-E-D-U-S-O-L. And then we're also on LinkedIn as well. And so that's one business that I have as an educational consultant, but then I'm also a career coach. So you can find me at Ivory Gray Careers on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn as well. So I'm out there on those social media platforms. You can find me. Um, you can also uh, email me if you'd like at uh, Coach Ivy at Ivory Gray Careers. Dot com. I'm out there. And so just reach out to me. Let's have a conversation and maybe we can do some collaborating and uh, make some waves and be bold and be free.